0: So we finished one series where we were in Luke 10, and now we're going to talk about prayer together for the next 50 days, starting today. Works out pretty well because this is the first day of the month, and so the second day of the month will be the second day we're talking about it, so it works out kind of well for October. And to begin, I'm going to invite you to turn with me in the New Testament to the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the church at, Philippia, at Philippi, and the fourth chapter, We're going to pick it up in verse 5, and we're going to read through verse 7. So there's a first part of verse 5 that says, Let your gentleness be evident to all. We're going to skip that part, and we're going to start with this next phrase, The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The world is a mess. And that should come... There's no surprise for anyone that has a television or reads a magazine or has a computer or a phone. We have suffered through pandemics, through hurricanes, through tornadoes, through earthquakes, through fires, and through flooding. There is a major war going on in our world. There is polarization, road rage, mental health issues, sexual assaults and abuse Racism, crime, famine, mounting debt, and inflation. Many in our world, in their desperation, are turning to prayer. Ironically, at the very same time, the praying voices of faithful churchgoers has gone all but silent. The same realities that have the world turning to God seems to have the church turning away from God. Tyler Statton, a pastor and the national director in the United States of the 24-7 prayer movement, has said in his book, Praying Like Monks, and I'll be quoting from him often this morning, says, the world is knocking on the doors of the church while those in the pews are scrambling for the exits, end quote. (laughs) Really? For everyone desperately pleading with God to help them, others are saying, God, you're no help at all. In his book, Connecting with God, Herb Miller tells this particular story. He says, when a nightclub opened up on Main Street, the only church in town organized an all-night prayer meeting, and the members asked God to burn the club down. Within a few moments, lightning struck the club, and it burned to the ground. The owner sued the church. The church denied all responsibility. And after hearing both sides, the judge said, it seems that wherever the guilt may lie, the nightclub owner believes in prayer and the church doesn't. (laughs) Over the next 50 days, we're going to be talking about prayer, about talking with God. And hopefully, we'll be spending some time actually talking with God, both alone and corporately together. I believe in prayer. I have more messages in my sermon file on prayer than on any other subject. For 17 years, I had the privilege of serving as our denomination's prayer mobilizer and coordinator. We'll provide you with some weekly bookmarks to encourage your prayer. There are some available on the Welcome Center. They're okay. When Sarah gets back from vacation, they'll look a whole lot better. So just so you know. But take one. Take it home. Use it to encourage your prayer over the next 50 days. And beginning next Sunday evening, we'll have opportunities to come together even at night to discuss and to participate in some praying together. Already this morning, plenty of people have prayed, even right here at Georgetown Church. Even in a nation losing interest in the church and becoming increasingly suspicious of Christians, prayer isn't going anywhere. Almost everyone prays. Almost everyone has always prayed. Gallup says Americans pray more than they exercise, more than they drive, more than they have sex, and more than they even go to work. In an increasingly post-Christian America, nearly half the population still admits to praying on a daily basis. And that percentage of those who are praying dwarfs the percentage of people in our nation that actually come to church People pray. People always have prayed. There appears to be no end in sight to people praying. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel writes, Prayer is our humble answer to the inconceivable surprise of living. We pray. We can't help it. Prayer teaches us to ask questions like a child to listen before we speak, to scream out our frustration, to bear our soul in confession, to build a relationship with our creator and the fact that we are deeply and unconditionally loved. Sadly, many Christians find little need to pray. They find prayer boring, obligatory, confusing, or maybe all three of those at the very same time. We've all heard some of the marvelous stories of answered prayer, stories that begin with a desperate need and end with an amazing answer. The essence and the mystery of prayer are found somewhere in between, in between our desperate need and in between an amazing miracle, in between All our questions about prayer are scattered. Is prayer necessary? Why does God need my input? If God is really all-powerful, isn't he going to do whatever he wants anyway? Does anything any different happen because I pray than it would have if I didn't pray? Why does God seem to answer some prayers and not seem to answer other prayers? Why does God seem to take so long to answer prayers that, in my estimation, need an immediate response? If God wants to bring in the harvest, why isn't he hearing the prayers for the salvation of my children and my family members and my friends and my neighbors? Do my prayers really matter to God? Do they make any difference in my life or in the life of others? What's the best way to pray? We have desperate needs and a million questions, and we're waiting most impatiently for God to answer them. But the answers are in the praying. We need to talk about prayer because we believe God to be God. We believe that when He says He will converse with us, He wants to converse with us. We believe him when he says that those who seek him will find him. We believe he holds the answer to our questions, the solutions to our problems, the fulfillment to all of our needs. We believe his love is such that a conversation is all he needs in order for him to send out the answers to the issues that weigh heavy on us. We discover and deepen our relationship with God through prayer. Stanton says, prayer is not a soft place where we get to lay our head or an occasional workout to burn away some spiritual fat. No, prayer is a wild, unpredictable adventure for those brave enough to risk their stereotypes, to shed their artificial identities, to get the wind knocked out of them, and to see the beauty that God has hidden in the mysteries of prayer, end quote. Prayer has a way of taking the ordinary and making it holy. A burning bush. Daniel's upstairs window. A little house in a city called Bethlehem. A beach where Peter fished. A second floor room on a side street in the city called Jerusalem where one day the wind started to blow. Prayer. Prayer. It's not for the faint of heart. Prayer is for every follower of Jesus. Now, there are plenty of verses throughout the scripture about prayer. And over the next few weeks, we'll take a look at a bunch of them. But some people are rather frustrated with the Bible because in their estimation, it doesn't lay out what prayer is all about like Lego Lays out the instructions for how to build whatever it is you've bought. If God would just lay it out step by step, brick by brick, they say, then we would do it. But they say, God seems to speak in stories. He seems to speak in analogies. He seems to speak in riddles. But as we read these few verses from Paul's Word to the church at Philippi. It seems to be pretty clear to me. And even though it's clear, most people still don't seem to follow it. North American Christians don't pray very much. Most of us know this verse. Most of us have quoted it. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in every situation, by prayer and by petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. We could probably make a shorter version of that and simply say, don't be anxious about it. anything, pray about everything. Either way, most people don't follow it. We're actually better at mulling over our anxious thoughts. We can do that for hours and hours rather than surrendering them in prayer even though this verse tells us that's exactly what you're supposed to do with them. So why is it that we don't take up God on this wonderful offer? And the only answer I could come up with, the only answer I can think of is, we don't really believe it. We don't really buy it. We think to ourselves, it can't be that simple. And so anxiety tends to shadow us all through life. Almost everyone in our world is more familiar with anxiety than they are with prayer. You see, God promises us this supernatural peace, a peace it says no one can logically understand in place of all the world's crippling anxiety. And the one condition is we have to pray about it. No prayer, no peace. For the most part, people still don't pray. Most believers pray less than five minutes a day. Probably less time than it takes us to brush our teeth. Instead of praying, we try to be productive. We try to be socially conscious. We try to be successful. And the competition for our time is rather stiff. We can only do so much. And what we're already doing takes lots of time and lots of energy. 97% of Americans own a cell phone. 85% of them are smartphones. Sadly, I don't think any of them have made us any smarter. The average phone owner looks at their phone 144 times a day the average teenager gets 177 notifications on their phone every day that keeps us busy we scroll instagram we debate on x we answer texts we read emails we watch television we need to set aside some time to eat and to rest and to work and to study Plus, of course, the things we really want to do. We find the priority, we find the time to do the things that we prioritize. So it seems to me that prayer is not really a high priority for many of us. We're already anxious, and prayer just seems to add to that anxiety. Our busyness, our distractions, our workloads, our expectations increase our anxiety. Our anxiety uncovers our fears that we have been trying to ignore by keeping busy. We fear being naive. We don't want to be caught not knowing or not with it or not understanding the latest trends. We fear being alone. We fear failure. We're expected to master things today very quickly. So we have smartphones and computers and the latest app We struggle with how to order online. We can't master something, so we avoid it. (laughs) And we know prayer can't be mastered, so we avoid it. Prayer involves submission. (laughs) We detest submission. Prayer puts us in an unguarded, exposed position. (laughs) We hate to relinquish control. Prayer involves the risk of being shown to be naive, the risk of trusting someone who might just let us down, the risk of believing someone we cannot see, the risk of getting our hopes up and having them dashed. We don't like risk. Prayer involves submission, humility, risk, discipline, all those kinds of things our culture and our society prefer to avoid nowadays. And with it, We avoid prayer. We find silence frightening. And prayer, prayer involves a lot of silence. Our culture is noisy. I mean, we have radio and television and YouTube and podcasts. We download our music. We have office noise and street noise and constant noise. In fact, we've grown accustomed to noise. It's our friend. Dallas Willard writes, Silence is frightening because it strips us as nothing else does, throwing us upon the stark realities of our life. And in that quiet, what if it turns out that there is very little to just us and God? Prayer means encountering that silence when we're addicted to noise. Prayer means coming face-to-face with the God who created us, with the God of the universe, when we know our relationship isn't quite what God expects it to be or what we want it to be. And we acknowledge that when we come face-to-face with God, we are far more comfortable with that inch-deep, mile-wide spirituality that our world knows than we are with coming face-to-face with God. We know God is good. We also know he's not very comfortable. Even though this world's messes push us closer and closer to God and prayer, our fears of silence and submission and being face to face with God tends to push us away. Silence, you see, not only brings us face to face with God, it brings us face to face with ourselves, (laughs) with our selfish motives, with our selfish desires. We're paralyzed by self-examination. We keep busy. We keep noisy in order to avoid having to acknowledge our needs and our shortcomings. Our prayer wanes when we begin to second-guess the words that we need to speak before God. Why do I really want this? Have I really put in enough time with God? Is my relationship such that I can actually say this to God? Ask him for this? Our prayer wanes when when we're not sure. We know the distance of the motives that are swirling inside of us. And we would prefer that they would stay hidden, unacknowledged, down deep. Because we know... They're not always that pure. And I think there's a part of us that's worried about doing it wrong. We've listened to other people pray. We've heard about their success stories. They're the ones that seem to pray and boom, there's the answer, just the way they asked. And by comparison, we feel inadequate. For some of us, it's like, like following Haddon Spurgeon in a speech class. I'm not eloquent. I'm not confident. I'm not comfortable. I loathe praying in public. Sadly, much of the experience that we have had with prayer has come by sitting in the pew and listening to professionals pray using words that we normally don't use and our daily discourse we assume we must be doing it wrong as a result and we figure it's probably better not to do it than to do it wrong so we don't the truth is the only way to get prayer wrong the only way to get prayer wrong is by focusing way too much on trying to get prayer right Jesus once asked us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus wants us to tell him what's on our mind, what our needs are, the basic ones. He wants to have a conversation with us like a friend to a friend. He wants us to vent and to ask and to laugh and to unload and to talk and to mostly listen. We don't have to sound pure. We don't have to sound holy, we don't have to be spiritual. He knows if you're praying, you're doing it right. So why should we pray? We should pray because we're overwhelmed. Some of you may remember when the Enlightenment period in our history promised over time, everything will get better people will get better the entire world will get better just wait it'll take time but it's coming that promise was hundreds of years ago and we naively hoped that it might be true but it turns out it's a lie two world wars popped that bubble for many many people and brought worldwide disillusionment and it still remains Just like we don't trust other people to keep their promises, most people don't really trust God to keep his as well. And that means you and I are left on our own. We're left to do it by ourselves. And the result is that feeling of self-sufficiency is overwhelming and oppressive. We worry. Our stuff is all consuming. And if it's all on us, wow. Progress and technology were supposed to set us free. Instead, they hold us captive. And then we try to add God to our already overstuffed lives. It's seldom successful. To compensate, we have lowered our expectations of prayer. We pray safe, calculated prayers to insulate ourselves from any disappointment that might come our way. Our overwhelmed lives should drive us to prayer, to our knees, to Jesus. Second, we should pray because God welcomes our worries. He welcomes our anxieties. He even welcomes our complaints. The Psalms, read the Psalms. They're full of frustrations and complaints and laments and discouragements. There are some people that suggest that David should have sought help professionally, but God invites David to pray his pain, his anxieties, and David did. If you've read David, if you've read the Psalms, you know that David writes, the Lord is my shepherd. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, praise his holy name. But this is also the same person that wrote, may burning coals fall on them, God, strike all of my enemies in the jaw. Same person. That's real. That's life. We've all felt like David on some of those occasions. And the invitation from God is the same to us as it was to him. Bring those feelings, bring those emotions, bring those anxieties to him and cast them on him. There's no problem too big for God, no problem too small. He isn't concerned. C.S. Lewis writes, we must lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. Charles Adam Spurgeon writes, prayer pulls the rope down below and the great bell rings above in the ears of God. Some scarcely stir the bell for they pray languidly. Others only give an occasional jerk on the rope. But he who communicates with heaven is the one who grasps the rope boldly and pulls continuously with all their might. When we can be honest with God in our prayer, God's spirit can change and transform our lives. Third, we should also pray because we trust that God loves us. Because God wants what's best for us. Before we can be confident, before we have the faith that God will answer our prayer, we need to be confident of his love, confident of his character, confident that he's sovereign, that he sits on the throne. Trust allows us to say, we don't understand what God is doing, but we know God still loves us, still cares for us, And we still belong to him. What if we pray and the cancer isn't healed? What if we pray and we don't get the job? What if we pray and our son or our daughter still don't believe? What if we pray and a a child, a mother or father, is, is suddenly killed and taken from us? Without trusting in God, the silence can be deafening, our disappointment devastating. We often find that we build walls between ourselves and God, and we tend to nuance our prayers so that God will not disappoint us. But when we trust in God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, or with all our strength, we can push back the same way the psalmist pushed back with brutal honesty God, where were you? Where are you? Why are you allowing this to happen? And God listens. We can't know God perfectly. If we could, (laughs) he really wouldn't be that much of a God. But we can trust him completely. Even amid the silence and the solitude and the suffering and the pain. In praying with trust, we acknowledge that while the silence is real, it's not going to last forever forever. God longs to have a loving, growing, trusting relationship with us as his children. Fourth, we should pray because God commands us to pray. That's our text. Philippians four. Paul writes like someone between you and me who has never really been that anxious. He makes it sound like it's so simple. Is it really possible to have joy always in the midst of all these circumstances, in in the midst of this mess we call life? (laughs) Then why doesn't it seem to be working? Stanton suggests in his book that it's because we start with do not be anxious. And we need to back up a few words. We need to start with the Lord is near. He knows that the primary source of our anxiety is the thought that God is not near. That God has forsaken me, he's left me to be by myself, that I'm not in good hands, that my future isn't really that secure, that God can't be trusted, that God doesn't keep his promises, that I am on my own. Just for the record, those are all lies. Everyone, Satan's lies. Points to the fact that the story of Jesus tossing the tables in the temple is significant. Jesus steps into this temple situation where there are money changers and merchants in the temple, in the prayer courts, and says, Turning my father's house into a marketplace is unacceptable. It is a house of prayer. The Jewish people, you see, believe that the temple was the place that God called home, where he dwelt, the house he lived in. It was a holy place. Even the priests weren't allowed into certain places because it was the holy of holiest. Even the priests trembled. Jesus, Jesus called it home. The necessary place where all prayer begins is the knowledge and conviction that the Lord is near. He is right here. He is with us. He has taken up residence in our heart. My heart, Christ's home. The most profound discovery that any one of us can make is to discover that the Father loves us unconditionally. His grace needs to be discovered It can't be taught. It has to be experienced. The power of prayer flows through the confidence that the one who made us loves us. Unless we know that, we are left to pray out of desperation or determination or duty instead of out of confidence and out of expectation and out of joy. When it comes to prayer, we could read all the classics We can study the scriptures. We can listen to a whole series of sermons on prayer. We can memorize all the best of techniques, but we still need to approach the Father who loves us. Hmm. A recent study by an insurance company discovered that those who attend church and who pray regularly live 5.7 years longer than the average person because they have less anxiety and more peace. Hmm. We like to focus on technique, but the truth is prayer can only be learned through practice. Jesus' disciples asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus started to pray. Richard Foster writes, by praying, we learn to pray. Thomas Merton notes, if you want a life of prayer, the only way to get it is by praying. Mother Teresa said, if we really mean to pray, we must be ready to do it now. Dom John Chapman says, and I like this, pray as you can not as you can't. That is, if you can pray for an hour, great. If you can't, pray for a minute. If you're comfortable praying out loud, great. If you're not, pray with paper and pen. If you can pray praise and adoration, wonderful. If you can't, pray your complaints and your pain. If you can pray with great confidence, wonderful. If not, Pray your doubts and your disappointments. Pray as you can, not as you can't. And you'll discover how much the Father loves you. All we need to really do is to show up before the Father and to keep showing up time after time after time. That is the one non-negotiable about prayer. This invitation to pray is for everyone. Everyone. If you're a skeptic, if you have never prayed before, understand that even one simple request was enough to change the eternal destiny of a thief who was being crucified next to Jesus. Try praying. If it's been a while, try again. And see if God doesn't change your life as well. If you find prayer boring and have boxed up your spiritual life so you can enjoy the fun and the excitements of life, it's time to wake up to the adventure that God has in store for you. The adventure begins with prayer. If prayer has been a major disappointment, please understand the wound won't be healed by ignoring it. It won't be easy. But coming back to God in prayer is the only place to find healing. If you're knee-deep in the Christian life, you're stuck where many Christians are, knee-deep. It's time to go deeper, to dive in, to become fully immersed. If you're a saint, if you have a mature prayer life, and you wonder what is left to discover, remember that we will be with our God for all of eternity, and we will never, ever get to the point of experiencing him fully. So keep practicing. Come. Come pray as you can. Let's do that together. Father, thank you for this opportunity to say hello, to say Thank you for being with us. Just thank you for your willingness to listen to whatever we bring, for walking with us, for hearing and for answering the things of our heart. Father, thank you for the privilege of prayer. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.